Clubhouse. Welcome to the Pop Culture Review Podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. And this is Mike. Tonight we're looking back at the week that was for the week of March 5th to the 11th of 2023. The big three is back together again. <laughs> we haven't all been in the same room, uh, well, virtually in a couple of weeks now. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. There was a lot of good TV on, I swear, going on right now. And I feel like we were finishing up some things and starting some new things. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about it. Big transition period. A lot of shows feel like they're ending. Like the winter shows, the shows that launched in November, December, feel like they're all coming to an end. And like the spring crop of shows are starting up or, you know, in their first or second weeks. So we seem to we're getting to a point, at least with our own watching, since we watch so little network TV that TV seasons don't seem to mean anything anymore. It's not like we're at our house anyway. It's not like we're waiting on the next crop of, you know, bazingas or something to, to come up. It's, we watch so much more streaming stuff when you, when you say Caroline. Oh yeah, definitely. Or YouTube. <laughs> I, well, even the shows that come out weekly on streaming, you're only talking eight episodes, 10 episodes, maybe max. So a season is only two months, two and a half months tops. And then you're going to be waiting for a year or two before that show comes back again. TV seasons mean nothing anymore. <laughs> what Are there any shows that are still doing 22, 24, 26 episodes a season? I don't even know. Even sitcoms, I don't think, commit that far anymore. Like... We had that little Bob Loves Abishola uh, <laughs> binge. And, and even though that show is by all accounts, just a by the numbers, Chuck Lorre sitcom, what was it, like 15, 18 episodes? I think 15 stands yeah. out. Yeah, I feel like 15, 15, 16, if I saw that, I'd be like, that's a long season. That You know, <laughs> that's what it's become now. I was listening to Jonathan Frakes from uh, Star Trek, mm. the Next Generation in Picard. And you mean Commander <laughs> Riker, of you course. You mean Captain <laughs> Riker. Yes, yes. Both. Both are true. Both are true. But his his, cur his current right. rank was captain, yes, of the Titan. Current, uh, yes. Formerly <laughs> and, and, and pro tem. Anywho, he was on the podcast directive, which is one of the official Star Trek podcasts hosted by Tawny Newsom and Paul F. Pumpkins. Anyway, he was talking, he was go he was, he was looking backwards to the TNG days. And when that show got picked up as like a pilot, it was part of pilot season. Uh, he was talking about how only really Will Wheaton, and LeVar Burton were like the only two known people really uh, for television or movies at that point. Will Wheaton had been in Stand By Me and obviously LeVar Burton had Reading Rainbow and, and Roots. Anyway, he was talking about how they used to do 26 episodes a season and even hearing him say it and living through when that show was on, it sounded so foreign. It sounded foreign to him, the idea of doing 26 episodes. He said, I don't know how we did it. I don't know that we could ever do that that level of television again. It's not frequent anymore that you could get a serialized show anyway that, that would have uh, bottle episodes and like The Next Generation, for instance, had a ton of them, <laughs> you know, like um, Data's Little Adventures with Moriarty or something were usually just perfect bottle episodes because they just stayed within the little confines of the holodeck or not, depending on the episode. 
my favorite Friends episodes were always bottle episodes. I, I love a bottle episode because usually it tends to have really strong writing because it's not going to visually move around a lot. Uh, so mm-hmm. it tend, they tend to be good character episodes. So I'm a big fan of the bottle episode for that mid-season cost-cutting attempt. Can't spend that in a, in a 10-episode season. You got a all story all the time. Uh, 1923 would argue with you, except for they're doing it with <laughs> they're doing it with sex beating and torture porn. Oh so my god. god! They're doing torture bottle episodes. Oh my so. god! We're definitely going to start a drinking game of every time someone gets abused in 1923, you have to take a drink. We wouldn't make it through any episodes. We will just be all alcohol poisoning all the time. Imagine that, like Timothy Dalton's. To hear you imagine that. His agent calls him up and he's like, "So we've got a sexual deviant predator." <laughs> it's like I'm listening. He said, "Go on." <laughs> right. You had me at sexual deviant. <laughs> I'm deviant. not even trying sexual to do an accent. Deviant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my god, how funny! All right, well, so Picard, good. What? Give me the give me the lowdown. Season three is it good? Yeah. So in our last episode uh, from episode five two weeks ago, I talked about how I watched the first episode, and I'm watching it really out of loyalty and nostalgia because the first two episodes of Picard have been fine. They are, I think, by far the worst of the new crop of Star Trek shows that have come out in the last five, six years. But the idea of the Next Generation cast coming, kind of coming back together and reuniting, I was a little excited, though I was setting myself up for failure, I thought for sure, by getting excited for the new final season of Picard. An update, now I'm a couple episodes in, it's great! It's the best Next Generation feeling show since Next Generation, really capturing a lot of that spirit and the camaraderie. And this like past week's episode it's focused around, let us just be badasses in space. And that's what we're good at. And they, that's what they were saying. And that is what they were good at. You know, it was the best ensemble Trek show, I think, still. So, I, yeah, I, I'm super into it. I'm very happy. I didn't give up on it. And I let my nostalgia control my decision. I might have to talk Caroline into letting our tv show picard <laughs> what our tv doesn't listen to me uh-huh. okay <laughs> caroline make it so engage uh, picard engage tv yeah, engage long, tv engage a, exactly. long, a long time ago when oh, i was God. is this gonna be a story about caroline no i was i was covering um a show called 12 monkeys for a, another website and through that, I became acquainted with the work of Todd Stashwick because he was a major character, by the end anyway, on 12 Monkeys. And he was always – he had an odd charisma about him because he wasn't conventionally you know, handsome or, or anything that would make him kind of a leading man kind of guy. But he got a lot of the best lines. He got a lot of the best action. And he was always believable in everything that he did. So on on his Instagram, he's he's been very proud of the fact that he was been on this season of Picard and, and just thrilled because, you know, he's a working actor. He's not a legend actor like some of the Next Generation crew. So he's just been thrilled to get to meet all those people and, and work with them. He is a guy who is very by the book. Riker and Picard come on the ship with plans to steal it. Riker having been the former captain of the Titan, currently without a ship, uh, because he's in semi-retirement with Deanna and their daughter. 
anyway, so Shaw is the current captain of the Titan. He's very by the book. They come on. They tell him after a bit where we're changing the destination of where the ship is supposed to go. And he's just very, no, no, we're not doing that. You two have a penchant for blowing shit up and and wreaking chaos across the universe. They have lost an Enterprise before. So many. Two. Two Enterprises. <laughs> right. They're on, they're on like the F in this in this timeline already. So he, he puts a, a kibosh on it. He's very by the book. He does not suffer fools. But as the series goes on, he, you know, he softens. He, he feels like a real, like a real mensch, like a, like a real New York kind of guy is his like whole vibe. The scenes that he's in, he's very, you're very much aware of him and you kind of can't help but watch him. Uh, he's, he's That's good. Cool. He's, a, he's actually a really nice foil to the, otherwise very tight-knit Enterprise crew who are aboard uh, on board the Enterprise. And and to be fair, it's only really uh, Crusher, Picard, and Riker. Uh, Seven is there. Seven and Nine is there. And Jerry Ryan has been with Picard since the beginning of the series, but she was a Voyager character originally. The only Next Generation crew members that have been on the show so far are those three gates mcfadden patrick stewart and jonathan frakes the daughter of jory laforge is an ensign on the titan so that's how they kind of have they've brought jordy into it and we got to see deanna once on a view screen talking to will but i think the plan is for all of them to make appearances actually in the show more substantively over the course of the season we're on episode four of probably i guess eight would be my guess eight or ten at max so hopefully we get to see more but just seeing picard and and Riker work so well together they have such good chemistry together it's really been a treat 20 years ago when we brought our baby girls home we had to feed the babies all the time and so uh we had a lot of help in and out of the house yeah they're always got their mouths open looking for stuff uh so i got in the habit of watching voyager because we had a tivo and so i had it load up voyager episodes for me as a something just nice to watch while i was doing that and caroline's grandma was over one day and uh, it was one of the Seven of Nine centric episodes, you know. So she's so the last three seasons of the show, it yeah, could be very, any one of those episodes. Yeah, it was one of those like I'm still a fish out of water. I don't know how anything goes, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you know, it was it was definitely in that phase when she was wearing the the form fitting outfit that had like cleavage built into the suit and all that. And like the even the eyepiece was, I think, kind of sized down eventually. And uh, Caroline's grandma is not really a big sci-fi fan. And she sees Seven of Nine, Jerry Ryan, former, what is she, Miss USA contestant or whatever she was. not imagine where this wife is Wife <laughs> of, of a senator. And she says, why do they have to make them so grotesque? That's very funny. <laughs> this is just the best looking one that's ever been. On Star Trek, but okay. Grandma has standards, y'all. Uh, yeah, she does. Okay, she expects all of us Jerry to Jerry Ryan look does not meet no. those standards. Imagine what we look like in my family. <laughs> Dear listener. There is a lot of prejudice against the Borg in all their incantations. Uh, That's Picard, clearly it. Picard still 30 <laughs> years on is still is is running into from when he was Locutus, when he was kidnapped against his will and led to the decimation of 11,000 uh, Starfleet members in, in the Battle of Wolf 359. And he, he was he wasn't even acting on his will, but he was a Borg and he's he doesn't even have any influence now. People still mad at him for that in the Star Trek universe. You know, Grandma, she's Sticks. never going to accept the Borg. I mean, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just that 
that generation. You know, she's just not going right. to be cool with the they, Borg walking amongst they us. They say you words know? they're not supposed to say anymore, and they hate the Borg. <laughs> they're, they're, she hears resistance is futile, futile, and she says no. No, it is not futile. Resist. Like, Boo on all this. Greatest generation, my ass. <laughs> Grand Custis resists. There you go. Oh, my uh, God. Guys, have the Murdoch murders wrapped up? I, 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 I <laughs> remained unattached to watching the I trial. Can't I can't believe really... you. You're an embarrassment to well, all true crime. Here's the thing. I was getting my updates really from you. Right. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious now, because I think there was a sentence handed down, but I'm curious yep. if there's any like wrapping up or mopping up since it captivated America for so many weeks. Are you kidding me? There's so much wrap up. It's not even funny, you guys. So we've talked on the previous episode, on episode six, about the sentencing. So we won't go in depth in that. But just to catch Mike up, he was found guilty on both counts and got life Chum-cum. for both. Yep. So life, life um consecutively right and uh and now though because this family has been surrounded by all these suspicious deaths and now that he's been found guilty a lot of spotlight has been placed on specifically the housekeeper Gloria Satterwhite and this odd connection to a killing of Stephen Smith, who was like a young gay man who there was like a lot of talk about whether or not he might have been involved with one of the Murdaws and maybe that's was not okay and that maybe that's what led to his death. So there's that. There's the boat case that's coming up. I think the trial starts in August for that one. Um, and that one was where Mallory Beach got killed and Paul Murdoch was driving the boat, supposedly. I mean, we all know it wasn't Connor Cook, y'all. But he, they're going to act like it was this whole time. Connor Cook's uh, lawyer, by the way, was in the courtroom for all of Alex Murdoch's. Oh, um, really? Oh, yeah. He's the one with the floppy hair. The really tall guy with the white hair. Uh, oh, that's He's right. He's Connor Cook. That's exactly lawyer. right. Yeah. So smart that he hung out in there. The uh, the other hubbub that's been going on is that Moselle, the the site of the actual murders, uh, was on the market, and it looks like it's it's already got an offer on it. It's going to be purchased. Looks to be like friends of the family type of thing. There's going to be a lot of five dollar purchases back and forth kind of thing. So very sus on that. What happens if bodies continue to drop? I think it could happen. Anything could happen because we really don't know exactly what happened here. I think that there's a lot of thought that, yes, Alex knows more than he's told everyone. But the idea that he did the whole thing single handedly, people are still very not sure about that. That there was probably some other people involved in some way. Not sure who, not sure how much, but people still feel like they didn't get the whole story. Now, one of the things that happened, Mike, that you would be shocked to know is that they kept everything, of course, very anonymous with the jury until Alex was sentenced. Once he was sentenced, the camera follows him through the courtroom, down the hall to to actually go past the jury and go out this door. When he goes past the jury, the camera lingered across the face of every freaking juror like five seconds <laughs> after, the, after the trial was all over. of their faces oh, and every Lord. single person so some of them have opted to kind of take control of their own narrative here and go on like today's show and they've been on all of the cnns and all that kind of stuff all of the lawyers everywhere have been on everything. Creighton Waters has been like, on I things. Get your book deal now. That's what the jurors yeah. are going to do. They're yeah, there's a lot going deals. on. But here's the deal. The juror said 45 minutes. That's all it took to come to a conclusion because they had a couple of questions. Once they talked through those, it was pretty straightforward. The thing that's happening again, 
coming off of this is now the the sole surviving Alex Murdoch's son, Buster. His girlfriend, Brooklyn, and him have now been hounded by the press. So they have put in multiple complaints to the police about trying to keep them safe for a variety of reasons. There's people now who are legitimately wanting to just get a news story, but apparently there's also kind of these like looky-loo crazies who kind of come out of the woodwork from like any state, anywhere, anytime. There's something like how there was like protesters outside of like uh, the laundry's house when Gabby Petito is missing. Like these people just come from places <laughs> with their poster signs and stuff ready to go. The true crime rabble. Yeah. So some of those types of people, though, too, who are like a little more unhinged and a little more like you don't really know what their connection is to anything. They're around. Plus, you still have this boat case people where people feel like there was all these friends on the boat and all of those people still live there. And there's a lot of finger pointing going on about who was driving, who was doing what. So those people might have reason to cause problems for Buster as well. So loads going on in the Murdoch murders. I'm still very, very much watching. Paul, did you see any anything of this week that really caught your eye? Any little news stories? Only, only that little bit that you mentioned about Buster needing more police protection than he's getting. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that on the night of the actual murders, when Paul and the mother Maggie were killed, Alex doesn't call Buster for 42 minutes after he calls 911. Now, this is a very poor decision if he is not the murderer because two members of the family have been killed and he's kind of acting as if it was a hit. So why wouldn't you call your only other remaining son and say, get to a police department and stay there and don't move because someone's trying to kill our family, which he does not do. He does not call Buster and tell him to be safe or or try to get somewhere or anything. So very big eyebrow. Better than if he had been calling him and being like, uh, where are you exactly asking for a friend? That would be worse. (laughs) True that, true that. That's that's problematic. But um, yeah, so that's basically the Murdaws for this week. I mean, there's so much stuff going on that is going to continue going on. Although Gloria Satterwhite's family said they're not planning on pursuing, I don't think, anything else. They don't think foul play was involved with her death. But Stephen Smith's family sounds like would be completely fine. That's the thing, Mike, here. Is Buster, that son that Caroline just mentioned, he has been named in every documentary released about the Murdaws, and there have been several now. He's been named as just a suspicious figure in the death of this guy, but there has been no police involvement that, that names him. There's no investigation. There's nothing. So they are just potentially slandering this guy on on a bunch of rumors right. on on Netflix on HBO on on all the on ABC NBC anyone that wants to talk about it they're just putting rumors about this guy that Buster had a relationship with Stephen yeah. which would be very like you know a big deal because he has a girlfriend and all this stuff and within this group you know this being gay was unacceptable and all that kind of stuff so you know there's all this talk but here's the thing they the he was Stephen Smith was considered a hit and run death and the deal is that there was like nothing that showed that like the injuries on his body didn't show anything like he had been hit by a car it was that he had been hit with a baseball bat and when they went from out from a moving car right and when they went to uh supposedly this is all in the rumor mill stuff when they went to go search the houses that they had warrants for they found a baseball bat So who knows? We'll see what happens. This may have been, right, the biggest house of cards ever. I know that they're also starting to dig into, this is so crazy, 
the death of the great-grandfather, which would be back in 1940, super strange circumstances with him, pulls onto train tracks, actually apparently like makes eye contact with the conductor, like waves kind of thing, and pulls more on the tracks and uh, ends up getting hit by the train and killed. But that starts a huge lawsuit against the railroad, which begins the Murdaugh money legacy. I was going to make a Kevin Spacey House of Cards joke, but... I don't want to open us up to. <laughs> I don't want to open us up to any kind of actionable lawsuits given the topic. Yes. So yeah, so that's what's going on in the Murdaugh murders this week, folks. I think it's going to continue for quite a long time. We still have the ninety the ninety nine counts of fraud for Alex still to happen. So we will just wait and see. Ninety nine counts of fraud. <laughs> hey, Paul. I know that you have been watching the Mandalorian season three. Yes. Super enjoy it. It is the yin to the um, andor lack of action yang. Because the TV watching Star Wars fans were kind of mixed on andor. I thought it was of the highest quality. It is the best Star Wars show that's out. But it doesn't have as much action. It has more subtlety, more intrigue. And so it lost a lot of viewers that came to the store looking for for more Mandalorian, but they didn't get that. Hmm. So here we are back with Mandalorian, and they are serving up what we what we want. They have Baby Yoda, Grogu back in the mix of things. <laughs> they have Mandalorian doing some Mandalorian stuff. They've uh, mixed in Bo-Katan as a more important character this season so far. Enjoying the heck out of it. Are you watching it, Mike? I am. I have only seen the season premiere, so I think I'm an episode or two behind now. But I like that. I've I've been a fan of the Mandalorian series and all generations. It, the promise of it is what got me to go back and watch the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, and I'm glad that I did because the back end of that series really was a sub season of the Mandalorian. So far, I didn't really feel like you needed this beyond the fact of how Mando and Grogu get back together has there been a lot of connection back to the Bubba Fett? Because I know a lot of people didn't watch that, and there was grumbling because it came out and said, maybe Dave Filoni said, or someone someone in the creative side said, you really should watch the Book of Boba Fett to understand what's happening in Mandalorian Season 3. I'm curious if you've found so far a couple of episodes in, if that's true. There is a mention, because there is a side trip to Tatooine in the second episode, and so that season-ending adventure for Boba Fett and Fennec Shand and the Mandalorian all fuels that comment. But not but, a deal breaker. I mean, you're you're not missing substantial story. Only the aspect of Grogu fighting his way back to the Mandalorian after Luke Skywalker very famously taking him away from the Mandalorian at the end of season two. There's there's something that the creators, I don't know if it's Filoni or Favreau, have put out that I wish had been made more clear through the narrative on screen. But they've been saying that this is not all just days or even a couple of weeks after an episode of, of what we see. They suggest that Grogu was studying with Luke for much longer than the day it looked like it was um, on Book of Boba Fett. They've said it might be as much as like two years. I thought a substantial amount of time had passed. That was how I had taken it. 
I never thought it was only a short amount of time. Well, that's good because that's what they wanted you to think. Okay. A- and to, to some extent, I think they want us to believe that Grogu and Mando have been palling around some period of time after that. They didn't just go straight into the season three opener. Well, and there's also this question of, I mean, Grogu is a, is substantially older in, in as far as humans consider years than people probably assume he is. And I know there's also rumblings now of when is Grogu going to begin to talk, which because of Yoda and, and Yaddle to a lesser extent, people are, are interested to hear Grogu start to speak. But because of that species, he's he's, you know would be at least he's what we consider baby. a teenager. He, yeah. yeah, but he's at least a teenager, if not a, a approaching middle-aged man in human years. Gross. I want him to well, stay it, a baby. It's, it's, it, he, he starts vocalizing. He starts making more talking-ish type sounds. I'm excited. Well, I'm, I'm also excited to hear more uh, Katie Sackhoff, too, because the way episode one ends, it sounds like she will not be getting involved in the shenanigans. So uh, always, always down for more Bo-Katan. I, uh, I actually just showed Tom the Battlestar Galactica pilots. Ah. Uh, because I love it. I, I love the pilot. I think it, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica is one of the great pilots. So I, I was showing it to him and I, I reminiscing on how young they all looked. Well, not Edward James almost. I feel like he's looked the same age for 40 years, but everyone else just looking so young in that show. So yeah, I love uh, that show. I'm surprised more people on that show didn't take off. Uh, Katie by far was the big breakout star of that show. If you've seen Jamie Bamber in anything since then, it's very clear that Battlestar may be the best acting he'll ever do. Mm, that happens in a lot of sci-fi actors, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> we see it yeah, all but you know the time. what? I give a ton of credit to casting when that happens because I feel like it's like they found the perfect person for the perfect role. And when you think about it, it's kind of a bad assumption that you could be the perfect person for um, like all these different roles, right? Like that's kind of a bad assumption. If you find like your specific character that works so well for you, dude, I think you should hang on to that. I'm that girl. I'm the girl who would stick with one franchise forever. Well, Katie Sackhoff, though, you know, she embodied Starbuck. But she equally well um, did with a character named uh, Vic on Longmire. She was yes. the second lead on Longmire. So she, and she was great uh, beyond yeah. – except for the weird love storyline that she had with Longmire, which the age gap was a little too much for me. But beyond <laughs> that, I, she was great on that show. Longmire, Longmire was one of the shows that people slept on and I wish they hadn't because it was so freaking good. I, w- I was a huge, huge fan of it. I wish more people had watched it because it would have had a longer life. Yeah, it was great. Uh, James Callis, another standout from Battlestar Galactica that I still love whenever he pops up because he always plays a smarmy villain and he's always delightful at it. He was in Blood and Treasure for a bit of its run. So. He was the most major minor character in 12 Monkeys. Ooh. <laughs> yes. I don't want to spoil it for you, but he's a big deal for a few episodes. That feels like a really bad award. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about some movies that we have seen. Did you guys talk about Cocaine Bear when you uh, had the kids? We have not talked about Cocaine Bear. Pitch me on it because I want to see it, but then I haven't yet. I've been waiting for your guys' review. Paul, did you have any favorite parts? Um, When I recognized that TikTok guy that does the IKEA... uh, (laughs) Customer service reels. He's uh, like the ambulance... EMT dude. I liked noticing Funny. him and seeing characters kind of play off type, like Jesse Tyler Ferguson plays this kind of tree hugging but kind of slob 
guy. Right. Wilderness dude. I like Margot Mar- Margo Martindale was hilarious for me because she was like this, this uh, lusty park ranger who was like wearing this perfume and, and red lipstick. And she just, she wanted the, uh, what was, I don't know what he was. He, he was, he was, he was like, like an ecologist reviewer. or something. No, but he was like reviewing their park in some way, uh, or he was like in some way, like deciding whether they were doing a good job. So I don't know. It was very funny. The whole thing was like crazy. It was so chaotic and so wild. It was just nuts. I mean, honestly, Mike, it's a type of movie that get a big old bucket of popcorn and just like laugh and laugh at how ridiculous the whole thing is. It's well, a little... Let me out with here with ratings. Is it rated R because it's violent or something else? Oh, violence for sure. Definitely violence. I mean, no, I'm talking. Is there nudity? Uh, I assume nope. language, but no, nope. no sex, Cause... no nudity, no nothing. It's all drugs and violence. As Tom approaches 15, rated R movies are on the table if it's really just limited to violence or, or language. Still stay away from the sex and nudity, obviously. I mean, it's what you'd think but, with a bear causing the damage. Right. Uh, but I, I wasn't sure if it was like a, like a, like a, yeah, like an 80s, understand. like, you know, like, oh, in the woods as the bear runs through. Oh, you know, no, 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 like. no, 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 no. And it, t- it totally right. could have. It could have had like teenagers having sex in the woods. The like, lusty teens. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. You could have had that. Cocaine bear like, takes them right. out like Jason. <laughs> it wasn't like that. But in the type of gore, that it had it was much more like i don't know like special effects gore like meaning like if like a limb came off like it, it looked like a like a special effects limb like it looked like a like a leg or it looked like an arm from kind of like low budget camp like, like like kind of like a like a like b camp i mean i'm not trying to say it looked bad i'm just trying no, to no, say but that's a whole no that's a whole genre though that's a whole niche there you was know. no part of you that thought, "Oh my God, that's a real leg," and I'm I am totally and completely you know terrorized by that. No, 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 no. It was clearly like it was the type of thing where someone's arm would get lopped off, and then the person would look at the stump and go, "Ah!" Like you know, and blood would be splurting out, and it would be like silly, you know, like like they right. they weren't nothing was happening, you know. Ray Liotta's last movie. Uh, com- conversely, Megan, uh, which you can stream on Peacock, extremely violent in a gory way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not scary. I-, I wouldn't say it is scary unless you're super freaked out by dolls who come to life and act like humans. And there's a very uncanny, there's definitely an uncanny valley aspect to the movie, which is unsettling, but it's much more just violent than it is anything else. I find that odd though, because why with the uncanny valley? I mean, she's a toy or a doll or, or like a robot, right? So there's well, but nothing... she's made to look like a kid though. Right. But, and, and but she never presented an... as a human. But she becomes sentient, essentially. Mm-hmm. So she speaks like a human. Don't they always? She, you know, so, so you're you're hearing all of these human things coming out of her. And she looks just human enough to be, you know, on, on the uncanny valley side of creepy. Okay. So I think, I think that's definitely a part of the allure of the horror of it. Are you recommending um, people go check this out on Peacock? Mm, yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth the watch for sure. I watched the uh, Peacock has the unrated or the longer version, which I guess has some extra violence that maybe wasn't in the theatrical release. So that was the version I watched because that was just the one that I clicked on. I don't know if they have both on Peacock, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's worth it if if you don't mind blood and and a little bit of gore and some super violent deaths. There's that scene that got uh, a lot of play with her dancing with the copy machine in the hallway. 
Mm-hmm. Immediately after there is a very bloody death, you know. So that's the kind of thing, you know. Like it's, you're kind of being whiplashed around by. So it, they, I, you know, and there's some dark humor for sure. It definitely has a black comedy aspect to it. So yeah, it was it was a good time. I I, uh, I don't know that I would watch it a second time. I, I I won't watch it a second time. But I was glad for the pop culture conversation to have seen it. I I appreciate that. I kind of feel like Cocaine Bear is under the same category of like you want to watch it but it's definitely just for like the so you know so you've seen it and you know what everyone's talking about but you're definitely you're not you're not going to gain any brain cells or anything watching these <laughs> but you got a woman director so that's a step forward yeah, right sure. elizabeth, banks. elizabeth banks yeah mm-hmm. yeah she's become quite a, like a mega producer i like elizabeth banks career she has gotten some major movies made really just on her own strength of her name at this point she she gave us uh, the Pitch Perfect movies. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm a fan of and sound like does not overlap with Cocaine Bear at all. <laughs> it's, uh, Cocaine Bear is not in the Pitch Perfect averse. Although it could be at like the park down the road. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, definitely. It yeah. It's John Michael Higgins in Cocaine Bear because that know. would seal it. If, oh, damn it. This is based on a real event where right? some cocaine was pushed out of a of a of an airplane. What was it, 1970? Was that what they said? So it takes place in the past so who knows what you know tendrils of of time dilation could have occurred (laughs) in the multiverse of cocaine bear and pitch perfect you guys cracked the seal on you season four which has been out for a little bit now you guys finally sat down to watch it what's uh first first impressions i for one have enjoyed the departure for joe needing to get away from tracking or lusting after or obsessing over a love interest and that being his you person and turning that into this whodunit, uh, I need to save my own ass kind of thing that the plot has taken instead. The stuff that we – that made the or the first couple of, of seasons so watchable was, you know, this charismatic guy who you want to like but you find out that he does all this weird stuff and locks people in boxes and that kind of stuff. That You couldn't do that for the rest of the show if you wanted to perpetually keep making seasons of you. And I think they found a pretty – I don't know if they can sustain this but uh, I think they found a pretty neat way to at least get another season out of it which is make it a whodunit. I've definitely heard uh, season five was was going to be happening. And uh, so far, I mean, I would say that I would warn people that the first couple of episodes I had a hard time getting into. And I was very into seasons one and two. I would say that this one, I don't know. It took a little longer. Like it definitely I mean, there was times when I was kind of looking over at you and you're like, don't worry, it's going to. It's well, gonna like kind of pick up and stuff, and it's it's. I mean, they they have to set the table for a long time. There's a lot of characters that they they introduce you to. Nothing's exactly gelling as like what exactly even is the mystery right away. You know, yeah. like that kind of thing where it it doesn't really kind of take its pivot for a little bit. They have to justify like the time jump. They have to do some backstory, and they have to give you the new twist on this season. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, they introduce you to the worst bunch of people ever that make you just be like, well, I don't care if he kills us every single one of them. (laughs) Well, one of the things I was kind of laughing about is that this series has gone on long enough now that Joe himself is not like a young 20 
kind of guy anymore. He's not. He doesn't, Penn Bagley doesn't look like he should be, you know, in, in that same uh, category of person. And they, they did sort of age up his peers, but they didn't mature them any more than when he was like hanging out in the bookstore in season one. And there was like these vapid groups of, of girls and guys that he was starting to have to deal with. Like the, these people continue. They're just a little bit older. But even at one point he says, I'm like too old to be hanging out with these people. And I was like laughing. because I was like, that's exactly what I just said. Like two minutes ago, like you stick out like a sore thumb. Like you seem like a chaperone for these other people. Because he's just he's just too old to be hanging out with them in the same way. And especially the way they're hanging out, the things they're doing doesn't necessarily kind of mesh up with what you'd think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of twists and turns. I, I, I know where Paul is in the series and I'm actually a little further. And so there are a lot more twists and turns. I definitely go check it out, you guys, especially if you've enjoyed the first couple seasons. I was a fan of that show when it was on Lifetime. I did. Oh, you're OG. I did a love it or leave it for pop culture review. Well, because it was Sarah Gamble's first project coming off of the magicians. And I was a big magician's head on the, from the sci-fi channel. So anyone from that show, anything they go on to do, I I go and follow them. So like Jason Ralph will be in the new season of uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But yeah, so this was her first big project coming off of the magicians. So I was like, ah, I definitely got to watch it. And I like Penn. I liked Gossip Girl back in the day. So it was a draw for me. And I loved the first season. I love the books. The books are really good, actually. Or the first two books are good. I, I think there's been more since they were originally come out now. But I have fallen off on the subsequent season. So I feel like maybe I need to sit down one weekend and just kind of binge the show and catch up on it. I, I was surprised at how they handled the, the previous season, season three. And I thought that they actually did it very well. Well, and there was a lot there that really changed up again from that from the original, but kept a lot of the same threads in a way that made you be like, yeah, this is still staying true to the story and who this guy is, but shocking, you know, the things that happen. So, you know, that's that could be said of many of these shows we seem to watch where we're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Season three. It's like they 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 didn't deus ex machina him an ending, but they did make it so that they could take him wherever. Yeah. And season three maybe just didn't even happen. Season three definitely had a bow wrap up in a way that like, yeah, they could have placed him anywhere on the planet to start season four. And that would have been okay. You know, like see what happens next, you know. But they've decided to to leave some of those you know, octopus tentacles from season three lingering there. It's not a clean break for him. There's, right. there's still. Well, some I haven't baggage. heard that it's been picked up for another season, has it? I, officially, I, what I don't know about officially, but I know there's a lot of rumblings about that that they can go to a season five. I mean, that's been one of Netflix's kind of stalwart success stories. Never making tremendous headlines, but if you know, you know, that has that kind of following, Mm -hmm. I feel like. So it's got, it definitely has its core viewers that are waiting for it to come out. There's a bunch of stuff like White Lotus that people kind of have some issue with about showing the, the uber, uber wealthy and like these sort of just really vapid lives. And there was a rash of those going on a couple of years ago that I kind of feel like maybe is a little bit less right now. But like even like things like the Glass Onion or Knives Out or whatever, there's like a lot of stuff where it's like, look at these super, super, super duper wealthy people and look at how frivolous and crazy and wild their lives are. That has a place. And some people super don't like that. You know, they, they get bored by it or they just think it's like, God, I don't want to watch this 
this kind of it had a it had a name i'm gonna call it like wealth porn or something like that but it had an, it had some sort of name a couple of years back where people were like god this is just you just keep showing me this same luxury life that like people can't relate to at all or have any you know and they were getting kind of irritated by it so i think this was smart to kind of a little twist this whole idea on its head a little Let's jump forward. Let's look ahead now. What's coming up in the next week? The biggest elephant in the room is a shiny ball dude named Oscar. He is coming to our television screen Sunday, March 12th, 8 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. I guess that would be uh, 7 p.m. Central Time and 5 p.m. California Time. I think I saw that the first red carpet and like pre-gaming shows, I think, start at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So they're go- ABC is going all in on Oscars coverage all day on Sunday. It is the 95th annual Oscars. I know award shows are a big thing in the Daily House, but is this is this like the mother of all award shows that you guys all sit down, you put on your tuxes and your gowns and you sit and watch with hors d'oeuvres? Well, we do uh, print out ballots, ballots <laughs> yes. so we can see who guessed <laughs> we're, better. We're both like, mm, we don't wear tuxedos and gowns. We, I think we probably order pizza. That or... was humor. That was sarcasm. Yeah, part, yeah, but see, we do some of the things. So it's like, oh, it's okay. like mm, we. Mm. Well, you have gotten like little yes. um, party favors and like I little themed these, these little Oscar guys. Yeah. <laughs> It's very funny. Uh, our middle kid is super duper duper into award shows. And so she actually handles all of the ballots now and prints them all out and gives pens <laughs> to everybody. She's the Ernst and Young of your house. She basically she... is. Yeah. And she also is uh, 100% she is the Ernst and Young because she is the person who continuously checks in on like how many have you gotten right? Because we're supposed to like guess, you know, uh... as we're going and she keeps track of who's doing what and how it's going. So, yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Um, but, but we've she's... done a pretty bad job following up on best picture no i know which is so surprising for us because well, we really enjoy- we wanted to watch cocaine bear pretty bad so <laughs> we didn't have time for you know what movie has the least appeal for me of all movies of all time oh my god what the one called and i don't mean to shit on it because i'm sure it's a great movie it's just the last thing i'd ever want to watch god, what is a movie called women talking oh my god <laughs> What could they be talking about? <laughs> it is available on streaming right now. So. Oh, Lord. Women talking? I made some inroads in the Best Picture nominees. I saw Tar. Yeah. Uh, I saw most of Wakanda. Tom and I had to stop it because we were both falling asleep, which was not a, a comment on the movie. We just started too late, so we haven't gotten back to it. But I did finally get to sit and watch everything everywhere all at once which is available via Showtime. If you have a, if you have a subscription to Showtime, you can go watch that. It's fantastic. I get why it is currently the most award-winning movie of all time. It has supplanted... I just read an article today. Uh, Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, had won 101 awards during its run. Before the Oscars even begins tomorrow night or sun, yeah, tomorrow night when this comes out, uh, everything everywhere all at once has already run won 158 different awards and, that's, and that's other really amazing. Reviews. That's 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 something to be applauded. You know that that yeah. there's so many aspects of the film that is that good. That's impressive. Well, it's, so I'm eager. It's nominated to know, for eleven. It's nominated for eleven Oscars tomorrow. Our, well, so um, I'm yeah, eager for Oscars. your personal you know take on it. Like, is it that good? Is it that worth it? 
it is that good. It is trippy. You you have to commit to it a little bit. You have to pay you have to pay attention. If you don't pay attention, you're going to be lost and you're going to hate the movie because there is a lot of shifting between characters playing versions of themselves depending on the timeline version of themselves that they are. It it requires a commitment. But at the end of the day, it's telling the story of a mother and her relationship with her husband, but really more a mother and her relationship with her daughter and how complicated that can be and how the smallest choices in our lives can fracture into a thousand different ways those relationships so it doesn't even have you don't even have to reduce in the movie it is a mother and her daughter but really it's a parent and their child and the the fragility of those relationships and how they can spring into a thousand different things with smallest of changes you go left instead of right out of a door and it's it it causes a cascade that changes your life in in incalculable ways it's absolutely great it's i i wouldn't even know how to begin to explain it uh the performances are fantastic uh short round from uh, for all you indiana jones fans is is great i hope he wins uh i know he's nominated i think for best supporting actor he won the golden globe i think he's considered kind of the lock for ky kwan uh, michelle yo definitely worthy of being nominated for best actress i think kate blanchett is going to win for tar but if Michelle Yeoh wins, totally deserved. She she does a great job. I heard there's some uh, nastiness on the interwebs between those two. Yeah, I guess she posted a post that Kate Blanchett's already won an Oscar or two, kind of kind of saying like I should win because I haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, was, <laughs> but I think I think that I think that's what the drama was. But she took the she took the Instagram post down because I think actually it ran afoul of the Academy's rules for oscar voting because she posted it while oscar voting was still open yikes yeah yeah yeah. so that's what i think actually caused the drama a little bit have you seen the uh, top gun trauma trauma drama no what well you know how when you when you go to watch a movie and the various institutions that have paid for it need to put their big banner in front of it sometimes it's not just paramount or whatever sometimes it can be six different production houses that that need to put their whatever their animation up ahead ahead of the thing well one of those for top gun maverick was owned or is owned by a russian oligarch which is uh not a popular guy to be right now given world events so Mm. there is a small lobby that would like to see top gun maverick stripped of all of its nominations my that's goodness people, yeah that's because people hate tom cruise though because people ugly. want to be fashionable i don't like that i mean i'm not happy that that a russian oligarch is involved i mean come on this is top gun it should be like super american i'm not happy <laughs> about that but once it's already out he did tell you in the first one that he was trying to keep up diplomatic relations <laughs> I graduated was with an unnamed enemy at that time, but we knew it was the Russians. It just sounds like he's made inroads in that. Honestly, if Top Gun Maverick was announced as the best picture at, at Sunday night, I'd be totally fine with that. That movie was a blast. It deserved all of the all of the popular accolades that it got, and no one secretly is going to be upset if that movie wins. It's not going to, but it's a fun fucking time. It it's was a fun. Time it was a great movies. summertime movie. I mean, it was yeah. perfection, you know, at the time. So. You know, I don't know. Do best pictures always have to be the the think pieces? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they can just be really great, fun entertainment. 
well, everything everywhere all at once. Definitely a blend of that. It's very funny. There's a lot of humor in it, as well as having kind of this poignant story underneath it. Jamie Lee Curtis doing a great job as a cranky IRS agent. If she wins. I'll be super happy for her. If she wins in the supporting actor category or supporting actress category. Uh, let's move to some news of the week. This was a tough week for for HBO and Apple TV shows. Ted Lasso dropped its season three trailer, its final season three trailer. But all, uh, Jason Sudeikis also announced the show will be completing at the end of this season three, saying this story, this Ted Lasso story has been told. But it definitely gave the impression that it, they would be open to the right spinoff or spinoffs if they came about. And, and everyone in the cast has, I think, largely come out and said that they would love to do spinoffs. I know Hannah Waddingham who plays Rebecca in the show said immediately that she would love to do a spinoff from the show so it'll be interesting you know they've got eight episodes we've uh, we've seen some of them already on screeners dude Roy fucking Kent we want that spinoff <laughs> he's, got, he's got his super popular podcast I don't know that he's doing uh, well, I don't still. know that he's going to do any more shows he just want to see Coach Beard do underground stuff in different cities around the world. I would say right. most people didn't want to. <laughs> I, that I, episode. Know, I know. I liked that episode. I was I was the guy who liked that episode. I was about it though. I feel a kinship with Coach Beard though. Oh wow, so, you do? I do. Why? What I do. is that I like about? Coach Beard. I like Coach Beard. I mean, a lot. it's not like I, I don't like Coach Beard, but why is there a kinship? I, I, it just makes sense to me. I, I, I think I like to think of myself as a blend. If it's, if Coach Beard and Ted had a kid, I'd like to think I would be that child. Hmm, okay. Yeah. If they were my two dads, that would, that would be. <laughs> then you'd be their Stacey Ke- Keenan or whatever her last name was. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and Barry announced, uh, Barry, which is premiering on April 15th, announced that this season four is going to be its last season. I don't know if you guys watch Barry. Barry, a very, very funny show. We don't watch it, it, but it's definitely one of those ones that's on the list. I was really sad about the announcement that Succession was going to be coming to a close at the end of this season. I think I think everyone was shocked by that because I think everyone thought I think everyone really thought that was going to go to season five. So for that uh, to be announced ending, I think was a real, real shock for everyone, including HBO. I mean, if you read the article, the New York article with Jesse Armstrong, he makes it sound like HBO basically told him, as long as you want to do this show, you can do this show. We're not going to put a clock on it. So you, you have to think that's a huge hit for them coming off of Game of Thrones being ended and House of Dragon being at least another year away from its second season. No succession. Going to be a real big bummer. Yeah, absolutely. Did you guys see that there's going to be a Lost documentary coming out? Because I know all of us are Losties. I only know because you told me. <laughs> really? Yeah. How about you, Mike? I only know because you told me about it, too. I, Dang, I was excited, y'all? though. I was excited about it because it's the guy who did the last blockbuster documentary, which is fantastic. Uh, Taylor Morden. So that that alone was enough to get me interested in. But I was, yeah, being a huge Lost head, they have like 100 hours of footage from an abandoned documentary about Lost from like 10 years ago. How crazy, that they're right? Incorporating in it. This is going to be fun as hell. I, li- I can't wait to see it. I liked the last blockbuster. It had a nice tone. It had a nice pace. Everything about it was really fun and watchable. I bet you $100 Kevin Smith is somehow in this Lost documentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will be exciting. Let's keep our peepers open. You could win. If there's something nerdy, Kevin Smith somehow just pops in and has an opinion about it. And since he was well, in the blockbuster one, uh, he'll, I think he'll be in this. That's just my you bet. Know, 
you know Lindelof will be running the camera or something in this documentary. Is, man. Speaking of Lindelof, you know he's got a new show coming out, right? Tell everything. I was hoping Mike knew. I feel like I just heard about it. He's like acting in the show, though, isn't what? he? What? I haven't heard that. I, yeah, I feel, I feel <laughs> like, like your I outrage. Heard. What? I told him never to act. <laughs> All right. Hang on a second. It is called Mrs. Davis, and it yes. is about is it a the marvelous Mrs. Davis. Nope. It is the scary <laughs> Mrs. Davis because it is about AI Ooh. that that uh, you don't get much from the preview which, by the way, is only on Peacock, except that this AI can talk to you through your phone. So so remember how, like, the Watchmen preview before it came out had that ticking theme that time was almost up? And so the the preview was very stylized around this ticking. Well, this preview is all these people, just random people, coming toward the camera holding out their phone saying, it's for you, she wants to talk to you, stuff like that. And it's this Freaky. Mrs. Davis, and it's... The protagonist looks like it's going to be a nun uh, played by Betty Gilpin. Betty Gilpin, if you watch Glow, she she was great in Glow. Betty Gilpin's always fun. Caroline, this one's for you. Margot Martindale in the cast. Well, you know, Some I love a Margot Martindale. Katya Herbers, for all you evil fans out there. Uh, the, the yeah, she's the lead, evil. right? She's the lead in Evil. Yeah, she's she's listed in the credits for this show. David Arquette, former uh, Mr. Courtney Cox himself, is going to be in it. Ashley Romans, for all you Nosferatu fans out there. Well, and I give Lindelof a chance every time. Oh, yeah. Always. And the Always. longest leash ever that we're like, it's cool. <laughs> you just go there. You, I, I've been seriously considering a Leftovers rewatch, which is a big undertaking and and something that really like put me through my paces when I watched it the first time. But man, it led us to Damon Lindelof and we like really felt compelled to podcast all because of that show. And so in a lot of ways, I feel, I feel like yeah, we, we owe him. <laughs> Lindelof is one of the great ones. They, they're, I talk about it all the time. There are showrunners and creatives that I'm always going to give a long leash anytime they do a project. And Lindelof is definitely one of those guys uh, you know, he, you know, you hear like, uh, listen, he just needs four seasons. Hold up. Let him cook. He just, he's, you just got to give him a, <laughs> give him a little time. He's going to get you there. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So. I love it. I love it. We did have some deaths, you guys, this week. That was sad. All right. So Gary Rossington, the last founding member of Leonard Skinner, passes away at 71. Although you may still see Leonard Skinner uh, or a band calling themselves Leonard Skinner touring at county fairs near you. The local raceway. <laughs> They're a staple at Bethel Woods up here every year. I've, I, I finally got to see them when they actually were, I think, two surviving founding members in the band. I thought that there was a lawsuit several years ago put forth by one of the widows trying to enforce some contract that the band had created at their, you know, when they were fully together that dictated that the band couldn't be called Leonard Skinner if less than half of them were in it. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it feels like that's part. Of, I guess otherwise you say you're a Leonard Skinner cover band or tribute Well, it band. happens. Tribute. There's always, there's a, a, like Live was a great example of this, right? There were three, four guys in the band Live and they split apart. And the, and the lead singer continued to use the Live name and all of his former bandmates sued him because he was touring around using the Live name. But isn't it a little different if people died? Yes, yeah. but Skinner, Skinner, I mean, they were. <laughs> like, like, Skinner, lead, Skinner. 
Right. Well, their lead singer died almost immediately. The, they multiple times over with his brother being the lead singer, the Van Zamp brothers, more than he was ever actually alive in the band. So Skinner has always been using filling in members and they put so many people on stage for their songs. I saw them. It's got to be. Why do they need four guitars? Seven years? (laughs) Because it gives a full melodic sound. I'm all about the Southern rock. And Gary Rosington, I'm pouring... You're all about the Southern rock. I love it. I'm I'm pouring that for Gary. He's free as a bird now. And uh, that bird will never change. Uh, Yeah, I'm a big Leonard Skinner fan, so... uh, So, sad sad news, news. Mike. Sad news. Beretta actor and acquitted wife killer Robert Blake died at 89. (laughs) This guy was an OG. You talk about the Murdoffs. This guy was living the life. He was maybe killing his wife and getting off on all charges back in the early 80s. Did you guys ever watch Beretta? I feel like that's no. like one of the most 70s cop shows ever. I think that part is the reason why we haven't seen no. it. I know that he had risen to some more recent prominence because he played a pretty outstanding role that I haven't seen yet in a, Leonard, in a uh, David Lynch movie. I thought you were going to say a Leonard Skinner movie. No, I, I, my tongue wanted to, but no. A Dave, Robert Blake is Freebird. It had the L-Y-N. I was like seeing it in my brain and I was thinking, well, tongue, just do what you do. But no, it was, me- do what you do. It was messing up. So yeah, David Lynch. What was the movie? It was uh, Mulholland Drive or one of those where he plays. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I, I, he, he has just like this, this face chiseled as like a mafia guy who begins to act. That's just what he used to look like to me. Well, but in that role, he looks like Uncle Fester. Well, um, there you go. <laughs> so it's a little bit different. Came out of nowhere, and then the murder thing was kind of right near then. I believe Beretta used to walk around with a bird on his shoulder. I think he had a cockatoo that he as used to keep one on his does. How else are you supposed to solve crime? I mean, it's no Telesabalus <laughs> with a lollipop, but it's something. The so. 70s sure loved their, their crime-solving men. The more yeah, make you, make you All more we want to coat. do is solve crimes, Paul. Yeah, I'm so angry. I've channeled that into my crime-solving work. Hey, over on the Etsy store, I think we're going to start the uh, the armchair murder investigator <laughs> t-shirt. There you go. Definitely, definitely. Mad about, mad about murder murders. <laughs> exactly. Mike, you take Ma'am. this last death, okay? Yes, Haim Topol, who played Tevia on stage and in Fiddler, Roof, Fiddler on the Roof in the movie. He played the titular Fiddler on the Roof, Tevia. He passed away at the age of 87. Now, a lot of people know Topol really mainly for this. He, he actually had a pretty long career in Israel. He was a big, uh, popular Israeli actor. He had some crossovers. He was in a James Bond movie. He, he did other things, but playing Tevia was what he was really known for. He played over 3,500 performances of Fiddler on the Roof. As late as, I believe, like 2009, he was still playing the role. That's so remarkable. He, yeah, he, he literally played this role for his entire life, was an iconic hero in Israel, but also an American stage, too. So he will be sorely missed. Well, you guys, that was the week of March 5th through 11th, 2023. Thank you guys so much for listening, and please join us on other podcasts all over podclubhouse.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those great places you can find us. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the Pop Culture Review Podcast. If you wouldn't mind listening on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. It helps the visibility of the show, helps other people find the show, and we can all have a little community together where we talk about filler on the roof and stuff like that. I would love it. And the murder murders. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.